Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Let him do that lest I get in trouble. We're good? Good to go. Thank you, everyone. My name is uh, Rob Jay, and I am a sexaholic. Thank you, Fritz, for those very kind words and inspiring words. Um, convention's been great for me so far. I've really enjoyed it. The highlight for me was, was Pat and the keynote address that he gave yesterday really uh, was inspiring to me, and I'd just like to give another hands-in-the-air applause to Pat. The, uh, the thing that really touched me was when he was describing how he was searching with uh, his eyes to make contact with other people, and it just really reminded me of my own lust and my own need for a connection to fill that, that really deep void, that black hole that sits inside of me. And for those of you that didn't get the chance to listen to Pat speak yesterday, I would highly recommend you visit Lee's tapes and pick that up. Uh, And now, since I gave him that shameful plug, I do have one request of Lee, which is when you put the recording together for this, can you change my voice to the one that he used yesterday? (laughs) He, He can't do that? He can't do that either. I guess I'm going to have to learn sign language, American sign language. Then I can pick my own voice. <laughs> as far back as I can remember, I've always masturbated. From early childhood on, I, I can remember achieving an orgasm, and I wasn't even physically developed enough to have... Um, an ejaculation to go along with it. It's probably not unique, felt terminally unique to me. Um, But from that first moment, I I was hooked. Uh, I I was in. I remember experimenting with different ways of trying to get that good feeling back and um, just doing different things to try and get it there. Little did I know that I would become addicted to it and that I would become, I would learn to hate the things that, that the addiction did for me. Um, one of those things was taking me out of reality. It could take me out of the here and now and how quickly it could do it. In the present moment, I can be out of it. All I got to do is say, hey, imagine there isn't a room full of all of you people here and, and I'm gone. Uh, often said in the rooms, I can be staring at an empty wall, at a blank wall, and, and I can act out. And that's so the case with me, and it always bugged me to no end. I also hated the fact that it would dominate my thinking. That I remember in college, I must have journaled only three or four times, but one of the entries that I found was, why is it that I can't walk across this college campus 
without having a sexual thought about every woman that I see. And it didn't matter if the woman was tall, short, fat, skinny, Asian, Hispanic. It, it, it didn't matter if it was female. I, I, was, I had some thought about it. And that always drove, it always drove me nuts that it dominated my thinking in that way. That domination of thinking also made it a little awkward in social situations. Well, I'd get to a party and people are talking about the book they read or the, you know, their hobbies that they have. And you know, my hobby is pornography and strip clubs. Uh, so what am I going to say? You know, the guy's talking about modifying his car and I'm like, hey, I got an extra couple of bucks. I'm thinking of modifying my bottom lines and going to escorts. What do you think? Got any suggestions or tips for me? You know, it's just not appropriate. So it, the other thing you know, kind of bugged me. I hated the fact that it took money and time away from me. I spent money on it. I spent time on it. it took me away from my family. I would spend money that I didn't have. I wouldn't spend money for myself, go to the doctor, buy clothes that I needed, other basic necessities. But I get into a strip club, I'd throw $300, not a blink of an eye. Hated that. Commitment to myself. I can remember many, many times walking into work and saying, okay, you're going to go into work today, and we've got a program to write, and you've got this report that's got to be done, and these emails have to get responded to. You've got to do it. I get in, I put the laptop down, I open it up, my fingers hit the keyboard, and the brain switch changes, and the thought is, well, let's just see what's happening on, and there I am. Gone. Off to the races again. And then just three or four hours later, I come back to reality. I'm like, oh my God. Now, the unmanageability kicks in. I got to figure out a story that I got to come up with. Why I'm going to, why I have to stay extra. Why I have to stay late at work. I got to renege on my promise to my wife to come home and pick up the kids. Now she has to change her plans. Maybe even cancel something that she's done. Get extra rides. Always drove me nuts. The lying, the deceit, the duplicity, the gaslighting. When I was in college, my now wife, was my girlfriend at the time, we shared an off-campus apartment, and in our bedroom we had a drop ceiling, and that's where I kept my stash. Uh, we shared a car, so I had little opportunities to be able to have time alone in, my, in the apartment to be able to use... Uh, the magazines and stuff. So one day, I, w I raced home in between classes, came in, did my acting out, and in all of the frenzy and all of that, I just took off and left it all laying there. So girlfriend and I come home, we walk in the apartment, and it's right there. It's all on the bed. The ceiling tile's still open. <laughs> and she says, whose is this? Of course, I say, oh, it's not mine. <laughs> well, how did it get here? I got no idea. <laughs> so someone came into the apartment and brought all their stuff here and left it on the bed and then just took off. If that's what you want to believe, go ahead and believe it. I didn't do it. I kept that ruse up for two days. Just another one of those things I hated about this disease.
Something else, the isolation and the, 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 the want to be possessed by this disease. My analogy, and I know those of you that know me have heard it before, is that of Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Lust is my precious. It's, it's that thing that I just covet after, that I want, and it, it wants to possess me. I want to have it. I'm willing to go to the depths of despair to find it. And where does it want to take me? It wants to take me and shrivel me up and de- be this depraved creature that can't stand being out in the light and is, is, is hiding under a mountain. And I mean, just that whole thought and that feeling is so well captured for me in that. And it's not who I want to be. That's, that's not, really not. I, I hated that part of it. Um, and then I hated the pain and the suffering that it caused my family. Um, my wife came downstairs one day and went on to the computer, and I had left on the screen a very explicit erotic story that I had been reading. And she confronted me and said, you know, the kids are getting to the point where they can read now. And it's just, it's not, a, they can't come down and see this stuff on the computer. I don't know what it is that you're doing, but whatever it is, you, you got to take it out of the house. It's got to go. So my addict mind immediately says, she's giving me carte blanche to go do whatever I want as long as I don't do it in the house. That's the way I think. Two months later, I get a phone call at work, and my daughter had pressed the eject button on my laptop, and it opened up, and there was a DVD inside, and it had a very graphic image on it, and she picked it up and walked over to my wife and said, what's that? Um, and that was, the, that was the end of the line. That was the last straw. At that point, my wife said, uh, this has got to stop. Either this stops or you got to go. It's one of the two. It can't be both. I'd like to say that I immediately said, oh, I'll stop, no problem, I'll go get recovery. That's not, that's not the case. I didn't do that. I actually took some time. I went and wrote a pros and cons list. <laughs> and it was very well balanced, I must say. The, uh, the tipping point for me was the scene from a movie that I had recently seen. And there was a man in his car, and he was driving past what I only can imagine, what used to be his his house. And he's looking up, and the bedroom window is lighted, and he can see a man and his ex-wife in the room, and they are tucking his children into bed. And I thought to myself, yeah, that that can't be someone else. That's got to be me. Those are my kids. I put them to bed at night. And I'm there in the morning when they wake up. And that was my turning point. That was my bottom. From there, I, I went to the Metuchen meeting. Uh, I had been a couple of times before, but I was not ready to take on recovery. This time I walked in with a completely different attitude. I didn't give a crap about anybody else in that room. I was there. I had a problem. You had a solution. If you got any benefit out of me being there, good for you. I didn't care. Um, they handed me, oh, and I knew I, from being in there before, the one thing I had never done was I'd never asked for help. I'd never gotten a mentor. I knew I needed something, someone to coach me, something along those lines. I didn't even know what it was called. So I, those were the two things I came in. You got something I need, and I need someone that can help and direct me. 
They handed me a list. I don't think we do this anymore. We don't, we don't do that. Maybe some of them do. Some of the meetings do. But they gave me a phone list, and so I started making notes in the margins. And I thought, hey, you know, Mark, he sounds, that sounds good. That's good. But is that Mark C or Mark D or Mark H? Nah, I don't know. And then, oh, Tom, that was good. I liked what Tom said. And what the hell? There's four Toms on the list. At the end of the meeting, I was very grateful when the leader said, if you don't have a sponsor, come see me after the meeting, and I will assign a temporary sponsor for it. What a relief. I made a beeline form right at the end of the meeting, and I said, I need a sponsor. And his reaction was, all right, I'll do it. Here's my number, call me. So Mark C, as it turned out, <laughs> of the four that were on the list, became my sponsor. I called him twice a day for five plus years, and while we've grown a little bit out of contact, he was very instrumental in my, in my early recovery. Leon was also there, and Leon handed me, all right, Leon. At that time, I think it was 4,835 days and 42 hours, as of 4 p.m. But Leon handed me a newcomer's kit, and inside the newcomer's kit was a cassette tape of Harvey A.'s story. And again, if you haven't heard Harvey A's story, might I suggest Lee's tapes? <laughs> there should be a disclaimer on it, though, and the disclaimer should read, caution while driving, <laughs> listen at your own risk. It took the outer bridge crossing to finally wake my wife up to the fact that she was 15 miles past her exit. The main benefit that I got personally out of uh, Harvey's story was how clear it was to him that his own best thinking is what got him into these rooms. And that definitely was the case for me. My own best thinking is what gets me in trouble. It's what, it, it's what gets me in trouble. And when I don't do it, it's what gets me out of trouble. Um, Mark gave me an assignment when I was first working with him as part of my first step, and the assignment was um, write a letter to yourself and explain to your daughter who's sitting behind a one-way mirror why it is that you're bringing this prostitute into your downtown Baltimore hotel room and what it is that you're doing with her. It was, of course, I didn't give it to her, but it was, it was quite a letter to write. But while I was later on in recovery, I went back and I thought, you know, what if I had, as I'm walking by with this woman, had seen you know, a bum or a vagabond or you know, someone, the image I have is, is, is some homeless person with the, with the brown bag and the liquor bottle, and I look to him and I say, excuse me, uh, I have a great job. I have a lovely wife, 
I have wonderful children, and I'm bringing this woman back to my room to go act out. What do you think? Good idea? Bad idea? I'm pretty sure that he would have said, yeah, that's a really stupid idea. Don't do that. Right? And so how is it that that person can explain to me that yeah, you shouldn't do that, but here I am doing it myself? And that, to me, is such a clear example of how my own thinking is, is just gone, is, is done. The foundation of my recovery program is that I'm powerless, my thinker is broken, and someone else's will, but not mine, really needs to be done. Early in recovery, um, my wife is home with three young children, and she's also going through some pretty serious PTSD as a result of uh, my disclosure. Uh, One day I come home from work, I walk in the door, the dining room table has the breakfast dishes, the lunch dishes, and the dinner dishes still all there. The counter is a mess. The stovetop has stuff all over it. And the final piece was the peanut butter jar is on the counter, the lid is off, and the knife is stuck right in the top. And I, in my mind, I just, I blew a capillary. I'm pacing back and forth. I was just beside myself with just anger. I ran out the door. I got in my car. I called Mark. I got his voice message. I left him a venomous message on it, just scathing with all my anger. Hung up with him, called my grand sponsor, Tommy G, who actually answered the phone and very patiently listened to me rant and said, you need to go buy your wife something. (laughs) I thought, are you insane? Didn't you just hear what I said? Did you hear the whole story, you know, that everything? That's crazy. I'm not doing that. And he said, what does she like? I'm like, I don't know what she likes. It's late. Nothing's open. Tiramisu. All right. She likes tiramisu. He's like, go buy it. I'm like, oh, this is stupid. This is just dumb. Why would I go buy this? But in my insane state of mind, I went to the Italian restaurant. I bought the tiramisu. It came in a cup. I walked in the door with the bag, dropped it on her lap, and said, here. (laughs) And I walked away. And she later told me that that was the best gift that I have ever given her. And the reason is, it was everything I had. I had nothing else left in me. And, I, and that was what I had here. But not my best thinking. Someone else had to tell me to do that. Um, Earl H., any Earl H. fans out there? Yeah. Love Earl. I got a paradigm shift moment from Earl early in my recovery. I have three kids, and we have a little bit of a, I guess we have, a, we have our own parenting philosophy, and one of the philosophies was we didn't let our kids cry. <laughs> so when they would cry, we would get up, and we would walk them or do whatever it took, and then we'd put them back down. And it's 3 a.m., 
and my daughter's up for the fourth time. I'm dead tired. We would take turns as to who it was. It was my turn this time. And I thought, oh, really? I, I, I have to get up and do this? And as I got out of bed, I thought, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't, you don't have to. Nobody is forcing you to get out of bed. Might not like the consequences. You know, your wife might be really angry, but you don't have to do this. You get to do this. And that was a critical shift in my thinking. Suddenly, how long is my daughter going to be that young? How long is she going to want me to come over and pick her up and do it? You know? So it was a change from I have to to I get to. And that was, it's, it's been crucial for me in my, uh, in a shift in just the way that I think. I have a choice. It's a choice that I'm making. And being able to choose versus feeling like I have to do something or I need to do something versus I get to do something or I choose to do it is unbelievable. And I, and I recommend it to all, everyone who knows me whenever they say, oh, I have to do something, I always tell them, no, you don't have to, you get to. So this conference, this convention, this is an extraordinary space that we have that's been created here, and I just want to thank all the organizers and the providers for putting this all together. I was at the old-timers breakout, and Harvey mentioned that the joy of living is better than an orgasm. I think Harvey's old age is catching up to him. But I do have to admit, though, I agree that I'm addicted to the orgasm, and so I need to replace it with something. And the joy of living, that's a pretty good thing to replace it with. That's a substitute that I can... But then he mentions later that shame is throwing up a middle finger at joy. Now what? So for me, this extraordinary space that's created and the people that I know in SA, which my wife commonly refers to as your people, (laughs) give me that space where I can be honest about the shame that I hold inside and I can bring it out into the light. So I have my sponsors, I have the people that I talk to on a regular basis. I can bring the honest details of that out and it, and it kills the shame of it. They don't reject me. I don't get ostracized. They don't look at me with three heads like I'm crazy. That's what this recovery has offered for me. The peace, the serenity, uh, the ability to come up here and speak to you people. And I hope everyone's getting out of this conference as much as I have gotten out of it. I wish everyone good travels. I wish you all the very best. Keep making good decisions and go Jersey strong. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.com 
www.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.